They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. of the Juan on Juan podcast. I'm your host, Juan. On today's episode, we talk to Daniel Luna. Daniel is a Navy vet and a leadership coach. He teaches people how to overcome trauma, depression, anxiety, and how to find their inner leader. This is one of my favorite episodes that I've done so far. We talk about Dan and his work. We talk about his experience in the Navy, some more stories, some things that he went through. And we also get into the leadership mindset and what that entitles and what that could mean for you. He sort of coached me during the the episode, which I thought was kind of cool. And we chatted a little bit after the show, which was awesome. And I just want to thank Dan again for coming on and taking the time to talk to me. We had planned this probably like two months ago from the time that I talked to him. And I know he's a busy guy, so make sure to check out his work. I'm going to post links in the description. Make sure to follow us on social media at the Juan Juan Podcast. Also, check out my blog, thehuanahuanpodcast.com. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode because I, I sure did. I love talking to people like this. I could talk about this all the time. My show isn't just about conspiracies and weird things. I like to talk about mental health and, and this sort of stuff, leadership, and what everybody's journey in life is different. And I love hearing and, and meeting new people such as Daniel. But without further ado, this is Leadership with Daniel P. Luna. And we are live. Finally, Daniel, thank you so much. We were finally able to make this happen. My buddy has been hitting me up. He's like, hey, when are you going to do that episode with Dan? With Dan, with Dan. I'm like, dude, the guy's busy. He'll get to me when he gets to me. So welcome to the show. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me. We made it happen. I'm pumped. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Finally. So can you tell people a little bit about 
what you do and what we're going to be talking about today. You are obviously former service, a veteran, and you do some leadership stuff, which I'm cool with. Can you tell people where they can find your information first before we get into it and I start asking you all these questions? <laughs> okay, sure. So you can, I have Instagram. I do a lot of stuff on Instagram and actually getting ready to do more things on Instagram. So that's dan.p.luna. I have a website, team3lx.com. It's it's a work in progress. So low expectations when you go to the web, website. However, I am working on it. And uh, let's see, what was it? My background. Is that good enough? Am I good to jump into my background now or you want me to? Well, let me let me ask you a question. I ask everybody who comes on the show. This is a question that I, I believe makes you really look into yourself. But who is Daniel Luna? Ooh, I love it. Wow. <laughs> Complex. Yeah, that's that's my first answer. Complex and ever evolving. Um, actually, you know what a great answer is? I, I love how I just told myself a great answer to my own re response to this is uh, my spirit animal. And I think this goes with some of the stuff that you have on your show. So my spirit animal is a snake. Which, when I first found out through a medicine woman friend of mine that the snake was my spirit animal, at first I was upset. I was like, oh man, so I'm a snake? Like, that's not good. Like, I'm not a snaky type person. Like, that's not what I want to be known for. That's my deep, that's who I am at the core. And, and when she explained it to me, I became okay with it. And part of the explanation was someone who transforms themselves. Um, so I think saying, you know, somebody who is constantly trying to transform themselves and moving in a direction of transformation is a great explanation for who I am. That's very interesting. I would have never thought of it like that. It's like you said, you, you know, I'm a snake. Like when you think of a snake, you think of somebody who's the, the you know, deceiving. Well, obviously you got the book of Genesis, right? What did the snake do? <laughs> snake is the Satan pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So someone who's deceptive. Yeah. Deceitful. Yeah, exactly. That, that's interesting though. But that, that, you know, it's, it, 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 it is pretty cool though. Um, what branch of the military were you in and how long did you serve for, Dan? So I was in the Navy. Um, I did most of my time at a SEAL team, at an operational capacity in a SEAL team. I did 20, just over 20 years. When I say just over 20 years, I mean over by 15 days. Not that I was counting, um, but... 20 years and I was I was good with that 20 years wow and may I ask what wh why you got out was it something that happened to you were you able to speak about it you know it was um it was a lot of different reasons and I actually really I appreciate this question because most people ask what brought you into the service or why did you go into the military? I think this is the first time somebody's asked me, why did I leave? I think it was 
it was just, it was my time to go the direction that I was starting to go in on a personal level was in a different direction that I felt that the Navy and the SEAL teams were going in. And maybe it goes back to like, who am I? I was ready for something different. I was ready to, you know, I, I'd spent 10 years at SEAL team one. I did five years at a development group. And then I went to the Naval Academy and I was able to do a lot of stuff there at the Naval Academy and I really enjoyed my time there. And I hit that, I hit that 19 year, year mark. And I actually looked at, I considered going back to dev group and, and doing some work there. And I went down, I, I did some interviews and as I was doing the interviews and I was driving back up to Maryland, I was just like, nah, you know, I, I think I'm done. I think I'm good. I, I think I'm ready to to branch out and really try something new. Yeah. And I meant to ask you what got you into the service before I asked you. <laughs> so the, the way I, 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 I can still answer that question if you want. Yeah. Yeah. So the way I found you was I have a buddy of mine. Shout out to David. He was a, a fan of yours and he tagged you on one of my posts. And you started following me. And so I write to him and I go, who the fuck is Dan Luna? And he's like, Dan Luna, dude. You know, this guy's so badass. I'm like, badass, man, whatever. So like, I started looking into you. I was like, man, this guy is pretty badass, right? This guy's some done some stuff. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Uh, let me reach out to him. And then obviously you got back to me. And that's how I, I, I came upon your stuff. And then I, I heard a podcast that you were on. I forgot the name of it. Uh, where you talked about your experiences and then obviously with what you're doing now. And it's it's funny. So what did get you into the 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 service? Where you, Did you come from a background? Was your family in the service before? Uh, what got you into that? So real quick, I don't think I'm badass, so I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, I think I have some badass friends. Like I definitely admire some uh, some of the company that I keep. I think they're pretty pretty badass. Um, I actually think I'm a really nice guy or at least working towards being a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I do appreciate that. That actually makes me feel cool. Um, so what brought me in the military? Um, really trying to prove my worth as a, as a young man, you know, that, uh, that transition from, from boyhood to manhood, you know, when uh, for thousands of years, either warrior cultures or different tribes have done rites of passage, Western culture, we don't have that, you know. So as a young man, I couldn't articulate that. What I would say is just like, I want to be a man is maybe the answer that I would have given, you know, 20 plus years ago. Or I want to prove myself to me or I want to prove myself to others was, was probably a closer answer back then. And I was really just trying to validate myself as a man. And what attracted me to the SEAL teams was, you know, I was really into the military and law enforcement, looking at different books and articles and, you know, of course, different movies. And I was like, after all my research, I came to the conclusion that the SEAL teams was the hardest. And so of course that's what I, I'm like, I want to go do the hardest thing 
possible and see if I can do it. And I was very fortunate to, you know, have the support that I had back then. And um, certain life things happen that really pushed me forward to to make those steps into the Navy and towards BUDS and towards the SEAL teams. Yeah, and I don't believe people really know what you guys go through when when you're exposed to the certain things that you're exposed to. And I really appreciate your service because it does take a certain human being to put themselves out there. And I know you've told your story a little bit on other podcasts that you've been on. And uh, where did you grow up, Dan? So I grew up in L.A., um, specifically Northridge. I lived there for a long time. And later on, so, I don't know, junior high time frame, I went to, I moved to Santa Clarita. So if you're familiar with the area where Magic Mountain is at, so Six Flags Magic Mountain, just north of L.A. So I moved there, and then I ended up growing up in the Santa Clarita Valley. I still have a lot of friends there and uh, folks that I keep in touch with. Yeah, I'm not familiar with California. I've never been out there. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Florida guy, man. So I do like Florida. I'm a big Florida fan. Yeah, if you're ever in the area, man, and you want to go fishing, let me know. I'll take you out fishing and have a good time. And let me, I'm, I'm rearranging my, my questions here because for some reason they're like not very good chronological order, but can you talk and describe, so I did it uh, to be quite honest with you. I had to talk to my buddy about some of these terms. I didn't know what buds was and I didn't want to look like an idiot when I had you on and say something. I was going to actually say what bud stands for, like the whole thing. And my friend's like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like. Hey, man, I don't know. I'm just Googling this stuff. I got to know about this if I'm going to talk to him. Can you describe what the SEAL training or, or BUDS, what that is? Can I ask you a question? Go ahead, man. So what does BUDS stand for? <laughs> I didn't write it down because he told oh, me. Oh, you didn't write it down. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I, to be quite honest with you, man, I, I went through a point in my life where – and the the friend of mine who put me on to you he was he's my age now I'm, I'm about to be 26 and he wants to now get into the navy and he wants to now do it because he has a job now where he climbs cell towers for a living and obviously he's got a family and you have to provide for your family you know how that can be as, as, a, as a father uh being able to provide for your family but he's in a point in his life right now where he wants to get fulfillment and he feels that since what he's doing, it's not what he wants to be doing for the rest of his life. So he's like, man, what I want to do is I want to be, I want to join the Navy. Because almost like what you were saying, I want to be a man. And it's almost like you've waited almost all this time. You're, he's about to be 26 like me. And it's like, now you want to, you know, you know, it's like we're in a society that the other day somebody asked me, they asked me, it was my dad actually, he's like, what do you want out of life? And I was like, I don't know, man. I know what I want. I know where I want to be, right? Everybody knows where they want to be. You want to be good financially. You want to be good health-wise. You want to be good. You know, your family be good. You want to have a home for your family. But it's like, what do you really want? And that's one of those things where every day I, I wake up and it's like, man, what do you really want? It's like you do all these things. And some people, obviously money is not everything, right? Because you have all these famous people who take their lives. And 
it's like you had millions of dollars or all this materialistic things and even even that wasn't enough for you and my my buddy that's how he put me on to you he's like man i want to go into the to the seals and and i want to do something you know something badass and i'm like hey dude you know what do you but at the same time you got to remember you have a family and you got to be able to provide for them uh but yes yeah, so, <laughs> so back to the topic what is seal training and buds i don't know if you want to touch on what i just said feel free yes so i i like to do both if that's okay yeah go ahead. so buds is basic underwater demolition seal or school i normally just say school so people understand it so it's essentially the the selection part to become a seal so you go through buds there's some additional training after buds so even if you make it through buds which is, God, I'm totally guessing right now, six to eight months, roughly. Wow. Then you go to another training, which is SQT, uh, SEAL Qualification Training. And that's another six to eight months. And then you graduate. And when you graduate, you get your Trident at that point, And you get assigned to a SEAL team either on the West Coast or on the East Coast. They've definitely formalized it since I went through training. When I went through training, it was a little bit different. I think how they do it now is way more professional, and it makes a lot more sense than how they did it um, back in my day. Um, what I would like to mention or touch on that you were talking about was was the wants and, and being. What's interesting with, with not only your friend, but some things here in Western culture. So I do a lot of leadership stuff now. My undergrad's in organizational leadership. I have a master's in leadership and I'm also a certified leadership coach. I worked in the leadership department at the Naval Academy. So, and I've led teams, so I have a lot of experience plus the academics. Um, so what's interesting is delayed adolescence. And this is a term that they're seeing really across the board. And delayed adolescence, you're getting part of, you know, the, maybe the negative side effects that somebody would complain about, like, oh, millennials are this, you know. So any type of thing that somebody would be like, oh, millennials or this generation or that generation, kind of a, a more scientific term would be delayed adolescence. And so with part of the delayed adolescence, I believe, with some of the advances in Western culture. And really, I, I think of it as a blessing. Like, hey, we're so blessed as a as a country, as a nation, that we don't actually need our children to grow up fast. You know, we don't need um, we don't need to have 10 kids because only five are going to survive to to work the farm. You know, we we have so much. We're a country of abundance, which is a blessing. Are there side effects that come from that? Sure. Are those things that we should track? and be aware of? Absolutely. So part of that is now this coming of age that I was talking about before. And, and so for your friend to be at 26 and to say, Hey, I want to do Like, I still have this, there's this thing inside of me, this itch that I want to scratch. And I believe I can, I can scratch it by doing this, this rite of passage. And essentially that's what buds is. Buds is a rite of passage. And with rites of passage, not everyone makes it. And rites of passage are very different than hazing. P 
people will often confuse the two or inter interchange the language. They're, it's different phrases, different words, different meanings. So a rite of passage is that screening, that that becoming, that transformation. And that's something that he's looking to have. And I think it's great. Uh, even today, I spoke to a young man who did not make it through through buds, through the training, through the selection. And um, a lot of issues came from it, came from him not making it. And honestly, that's the majority. The majority of people do not make it through that right. Uh, what I what I find, um, I don't want to say sad, but that's really the word that's coming to my mind. What I think is sad is when young men and even the few young ladies that have tried that don't make it, they're so hard on themselves and they're so... They just look at the negative and they don't take away the positive. And there's so much strength to be taken away from a powerful experience and not and still not making it because you're learning so much about yourself through that process and to discard it and to only focus on the negative by not making it through. I think it's really a tragedy to that to that individual. Because there's so much power to take away from it for your own personal growth. And so for this young man who I was speaking to earlier, you know, he he went down a, a dark spiral for a little bit, uh, you know, deep depression and, uh, you know, spiraled into even, you know, some thoughts on suicide. And, and he's coming out of that now. And I was just trying to help him, like, continue on that on that path forward. And we ended up even naming the path and called it a, a winning path and taking steps on that. And the pressure that he thought he was going to have, like this physical pain, he ended up having really challenges with his own mindset and his own emotion set his own patterns of both feelings and thoughts that took him downwards instead of upwards. So we had a long conversation about that, just trying to get him on a different path. Yeah. So what do you do after that, Dan? Because I was going to, I was going to join the air force at one point in my life and I never did never go, never did go through with it. I didn't feel that I was really cut out for that. I was, to be honest, scared. You know, I went to the recruiter and you know what recruiters do. Recruiters are recruiters. And I never did end up going through with it. I never end up going through with it. And I don't regret it, but it's like, I know people who have gone into the service and they hate it and they hate every single bit of it and they get out. And it was like, yeah, it's cool. You didn't lose four years of your life, but you, like you said, what did you away from it i feel it would be good it teaches you a lot of different things different skills organization leadership things of that nature but i just never went through with it what do you do after somebody who doesn't make it through all the way how does that work are you still in uh uh in the navy or <laughs> what do you do you know so once again I, i'm not current with with policy and procedures that that the center the training command has with buds and what happens with the the young men or women that that don't make it through um 
typically what happens, they go, they still sign up to the Navy. And so they go someplace in the Navy, they're placed somewhere. Um, and it depends, are they an officer and they enlisted? What's their rate? So there's a lot of factors that, um, that I'm not really tracking. Uh, I know they do most likely they do stay in the Navy depending on the issues. Maybe they get processed out. What I would say maybe on a, on a bigger level is, Hey, if there's something in the past, right? So even for you, you mentioned, Hey, I was going to join the service, but I didn't, there's no regret, but mm-hmm. right. So, but, but to me is like a super, it's a conjunction. However, it's a very powerful word. And anytime I listen to somebody talk, I'll listen for one of the things I listen to are is which conjunction they use. Do they use a but or do they use an and? And typically if they use a but, it it almost erases everything that was said before that. So if I said, hey Juan, <laughs> I love be I love your podcast. Your podcast is so awesome, but <laughs> I know, right? how how would you feel sense. about that? Yeah. You'd be no like, offense, but, and then yeah, that exactly. completely throw it out. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. So I have no regrets, but, and it was just like, oh, there it is. So what I would say to kind of you and everyone else listening is when you reflect back, so, and I know you've done some stuff on time. So if we, if we were to break, talk, speak about time in a general sense, past, present, future. What I like to do is put polarities to to all three of those. Hey, in the past, I can have both a positive and negative polarity to it. In the present, positive, negative, future, positive, negative. If I'm depressed, once again, generally speaking, that is depression lies in the past. And that would, I would attach negative polarity. I would, I would, that's how I would label it. However, we also have fond memories, right? Mm -hmm. There's things that we can reflect on that are positive, right? So we can, we can move and we're meaning making machines. So what meaning did we make of that experience? What story did we create from that experience? So what we also have is the ability to author our story. And to give even authorship to the past. Hey, if I if if the story that I'm telling myself is negative, what is another version of that story that I can tell? What is what's the opposite of that story look like? And is that something that I can start moving to and accepting? Does that make sense? It's a very thin line, no? Almost. Oh. It can be. It depends how wide you want the lines to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm staying with you, but it's like you said, if you associate that with the past, but then like you said, the memories, some of which are bad and some of which are good. How do you, <laughs> it's a, it's a, I, I would consider, you know, it's. So I have an example. So I'll, I'll stick with the same example. The young man who I was speaking to earlier today, his memory of the past was that he failed, right? Hey, I went to Bud's, I failed. And, and that, that story 
that language really started that spiral down for him. So as we spoke, I was like, hey, what's another, what's a positive perspective on what happened? So we started going down this other talk track and essentially where we ended up was like, did you have courage to even try? Did you put yourself out there? You know, were, how many other people out there didn't even try to go to buds that thought about buds? You were the ones that you had enough courage and strength and motivation. So then what we started to, to do was rewrite the story on his past. So now to shift from this negative polarity to rewrite the script to this positive thing to like, hey, what did you learn about yourself? Oh, wow, I, I never looked at it that way. I, I guess I learned these things about myself. So if you ask different questions, you get different results. Mm -hmm. And so you shift perspective. So essentially, that's what I was trying to do with him. You know, just a little bit of time that we had on the phone was to shift his perspective from this negative story, if you will, to more of a positive story and a positive story that will greater service him in the future. Yeah, yeah. And to, to, I was writing notes so I didn't interrupt you. And the reason that you talk about this negativity and what he got out of it back then that he failed, wouldn't you say that's a sort of conditioning from society to be number one? Because nobody ever remembers the guy who was number two. They always remember the guy who was number one. So that's why I feel that people are so hard on themselves. Because today I posted... Your own worst enemy is yourself. Your own worst critic is yourself. And perhaps what he was going through. And I and I can relate because I had my father in my life. A lot of people didn't have their fathers in, in, in their lives. And it always seems that I work with my father. And it always seems that our family is always hardest on us. And I have a, I have a joke with a friend of mine. It's like people complain about not having fathers in their lives. I have my father in my life and he makes me feel like shit almost every day because, <laughs> you know, he's mm. always comparing me. And like what you were saying earlier about these different generations, how they used to do it back then. And then they have that mindset of, oh, I did this. By the time I was your age, I had this. By the time I was your age, I was able to do this. And it's like, listen, we're not in those times anymore. It's not 1980 anymore. It's not 1970, whatever. It's, you know, we're in, in, in the 21st century and this is what it is now and everything has changed. But I feel that we live in a society that does condition us to always be. It's changed now because they're giving what plaques to like eighth, 10th place to make everybody feel you know, OK with with not you know, not being number one. That's what it is nowadays. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like everybody wants to be part of. of but I, I've always been that way. My dad's always told me I'm going to do something. Be number one. Be your best at it. Yeah, I have a lot to say on that whole thing. <laughs> well, go, go ahead, because I, I wanted to first talk about the Navy. And then obviously, if people haven't noticed, you do leadership. And I, and I really wanted to get your input on a lot of these things and what it is to be a leader and this leadership mindset. And I also want to talk later about what I really like that you said on, on, on a podcast that you were talking about was that victim language, which I also want to get into that, not using victim language and obviously how you help people, first responders prepare for what they're going to see or people who are getting into the Navy or any branch to prepare themselves. Because obviously when you talk about uh, kill or, or be killed, 
it's one thing talking about it and then it's another thing when you're actually doing it and you're actually experiencing it, which I know you can talk on that as well and with your experiences on that. And also you went through depression. So go ahead, fire away, Dan. Okay. I got a lot of notes here. <laughs> so if we can go back to the number one, or actually not even the number one, the others that comparison. So there's an exercise. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this exercise. Write your own obituary. Have you have you heard that before? No, I also what? wanted to ask you another question about that, but no, I have not. Okay, so let's say I wanted to, um, let's say we're speaking and you're talking about living life, what you want in life, which you mentioned earlier, and I would say, hey, if you were to die today, write your obituary. What would that obituary say? <laughs> and that I, I would give you some time to kind of to let that soak in. We would go deeper into that. And say, okay, now let's fast forward a year. Let's fast forward five years. And we would actually spend some time walking through these timelines and say, hey, if you died a year from now, what would you want that obituary to say? What would you want others to say about you? Hey, five years from now, 10 years, 50 years from now. And so there's a lot of different things that we can pull from this. And then at the end of that exercise, I would say, it's okay to cuss, right? Yeah, yeah, you're good, bro. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would say, fuck everyone else. If you were to die, and now we would go into like a near-death experience, and I I would walk you through this exercise of near-death experience, which would go into time, and time's an illusion, and we, we could have a lot of fun even in this conversation. If you were to watch your life flash before you in your eyes, like a movie, how would you want to feel? What would you want to think? What do you want your legacy to be? Fuck everyone else. What do you want it to be? So for that obituary, what do you want to remember about yourself? So that's like that final question. What do you want to remember? Who do you want to be? What do you want to, what, what legacy do you want? And it's not like, oh, I want my son to remember. Hey, that's great. What do you want? Like, oh, my father, hey, that's great. Or, you know, maybe it's not. At the end of the day, what do you want, right? It's your life. You have the power of choice. And I think that's one of the greatest things that we have as humans is the power of choice. And we often don't recognize or sometimes we give that power up. And this goes back into the stories that we create, self-authorship, so what do you want that story to say? So if you will, I'll just kind of, I'll leave that with you. Um, and maybe we can talk offline about it as well. Um, but really, what do you want it to be? So that would be something I would walk through. You know, I'd spend more time with that, you know, with a client or somebody else. With the B number one. And so how I look at this is my son's 15. He's a freshman in high school. He's, he's a wrestler. Some of the talks that I've had with him and that I've had with other sports teams, specifically at the Naval Academy, um, I've done some work with Georgetown basketball. I'm friends with some coaches there and some other sports teams that are out there as well. Is there so much, it's like gambling, right? If you and I were to go to Vegas and we were to play roulette, 
how can I play that game? Could I put all my chips on red or all my chips on black? Or could I work the whole board and work the table, right? Those are all options. Is there negative? Is there positive? Or is there just a way to play the game? There's different philosophies. There's different ways to play the game. Mm -hmm. So now what I'm sharing with you is kind of my winning philosophy. And we can put all our chips on, you know, hey, if I talk to my son, his name's Gabe. Hey, Gabe, when you step on the mat, at the end of this match, if your hand doesn't get raised, if you don't win, if that is the only form of winning, then I don't have anything for you. Because second place is the first loser. I could have that conversation or I could have another conversation. And that other conversation is, hey, pal, what does a win look like? And now we can win. Now we can win. We can have multiple wins. Hey, stepping on the mat is a win. Yeah, absolutely. Stepping on the mat is what? It is having enough strength to even compete. So this almost ties into buds for that young man. Hey, just stepping on that sand, taking that step forward, you know, throwing your name in the hat to to go through SEAL training just to compete, that in itself is a sign of strength. Hey, pal, how else can wins show up on the mat? So we'll go through this whole thing. And at the end of the day, it's hard work. It is things that he can control. Those are where the wins show up. He cannot control whether his hand is raised or not. He can't control if his, you know, if he gets hurt, if the other kid's just better than him, more talented, if the ref makes, you know, a bad call or if something else happens. Like he can only control what he can control. And that's what we focus on. So, hey, hard work, being aggressive being a strategic thinker, using that energy, you know, using certain skill sets, like playing, you know, fighting your fight, right? So we go through this list and often I am not the one to go through the list. So if I were to say, hey, what does a, what does a successful podcast look like to you? And you're like, hey, me just talking to people and uh, sharing my ideas and having a good time, that's success. There we go. Let's recognize that. And that's all you can control. If you were to say, I want millions of, of hits and I want this and I want all this stuff. Okay. Well, how much of that stuff can you control? And now are you chasing something that you may never get? So let's, let's focus on the things that we can control and go from there. Well, I love this, Dan. I could I could talk to you for hours about this. I got so much to say. <laughs> uh, the first, what you were talking about, I I believe in the law of attraction. I believe that mindset is a powerful thing. Make you know making like you were saying earlier, we are the authors to our own story. We write our own story. We make it happen, and. Uh, something's changed in me where the reason I started this podcast, I told myself, and again, this is all conditioning from society where we want to be number one. We want to be Joe Rogan. We want to be number one. Everybody wants to do that, right? Everybody who has a podcast knows about Joe Rogan. And it's what you said, setting realistic goals, 
realistic goals that you are able to control. But at the same time, and this is something I've learned from doing my podcast, is enjoying the process. Enjoying the process and learning from the process. And the reason I started my podcast was just for that. I didn't, I put that aside. I don't look at the numbers. I put it aside. I said, I'm not going to focus on that. Because when you focus on that, it starts your mind, right? I do sensory deprivation. When I'm in the tank and I start thinking about something, it manifests itself. So when you're thinking about something negative, positive, whatever it may be, you can literally manifest that into the world. And that's just your mind alone, your consciousness. And Alan Watts talks about being in the eternal now. There is only now. The past is the past. You can learn from it. You can look back at it, whatever you want to do with it. But we are in the now. So that's why when people ask me, what do you want from life? I tell them, I say, listen, man, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do the next hour, what I'm going to do the next day. I'm not thinking about what I want to do five years from now because obviously what's going on in the world right now, we don't even know if tomorrow's ever promised. And that's a fact because how many people haven't been walking around? They have an aneurysm or, or a clot from their legs goes up to their, to their brain. Boom, they're dead, done. And they had all these goals and, 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 and things that they wanted to achieve that they never got to achieve. And I don't want to bring religion into it, but I feel that sometimes religion prepares you for the afterlife and you don't live the now. You don't live the, the, the what we're doing now, right? So may I real quick? Go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> so if I can, I will say yes and, <laughs> right? So yes, 100% everything that you said and, so it's now inclusive vice like, negating everything you just said and it's almost like a strength finder have you done like strength finder it's like or positive psychology it's like hey just focus on your strengths just focus on the positive like just i don't i don't i think there's a lot of power in that i don't subscribe in all of that what do i what i would say to that type of stuff and what you said is and and let's maximize and let's Let's grab as many chips on the table as we can. Let's maximize us. And part of that is the negative, is the dark side, if you will. So if I travel in my mind, and what's great about our minds is we can travel, we can time travel, we can go to the past, mm -hmm. and there's power that lies in the past. There's, there's family power right? There's uh, nationality power. There's these different powers, these things that we, there's cultural power, these things that we can bring forward to who we are today in this moment, the present. And there is also power in using our mind's eye, in being visionary, in attempting to look into the future and play out different possibilities, so now we can maximize past, present, and future. However, it is important, it is also important to track kind of where our mind is at. Is our mind stuck in the past or is our mind st stuck in the future, right? And in the future, generally speaking, the negative polarity that is in the future is anxiety. And if you look at stress in the workplace, anxiousness, like, Everything that's attached to that, there's also the positive, the polarity, and that is that that hindsight, those goals, those dreams, the vision, right? 
So, so it's to use everything. Hey, let's go to the past. Let's be in the present when it makes sense. And maybe for you being in the present, if you were to look at it, maybe that's 90% of your day. And you're like, hey, I'm always moving forward, maybe 2%, right? So we can even make this quantitative and add some percentages and numbers. And what makes sense to you might look different for somebody else. Um, so the point of all that I'm trying to say is that there's power in the past and there's power in the future. And it's absolutely important to be present. Yes, yes, I agree. Because my father gave me an analogy. He said, the reason you need to think about the future. But while focus, what you were saying, while focusing in the present, you have to build a strong foundation in the now in order to, for it to sustain in the future. Right? Because people have projections for the future, what they want to do down the road, but they're not building that base right now. They're yes. too stuck in the, oh, I want to do this, but what the hell are you doing now to get it done? Because yes. law of attraction, this is why we, I think we're in a simulation, whatever you want to call it, right? We're talking about time. The reason that, that I think that is because we do have control. Our words have power. Our words have power. Mindset has power. And I, I go, always go back to the, this, this, this example. When somebody has a, a terminal illness, I believe they last longer when they don't know about it versus when they do know about it. Because as soon as they know, they go, oh, my back hurts. I've known people who, oh, my back hurts. They go and, hey, dude, you have level four whatever cancer. And it's like they, the doctor literally tells them you have two months to live. Do you know what that would do to your psyche as a person? What all the things that you, you what you're talking about, all the things that it would make you think about that anxiety, that pressure, that depression, and people actually, I feel that they last longer when they don't know about it, when they live in that now, when they don't think about now we're thinking about the future. Oh, I'm gonna die now. I have X amount of time, and now they're focusing on the future, and they don't focus on the now, maybe getting better. And I feel my 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 dad has MS, and we, you know, when you have issues in the family. You always think your family's the worst. You always <laughs> think, oh, my family's fucked up. No, no, no. There are families that are way more fucked up than your family. Like well, how you see in the movies, like, man, or these documentaries on Netflix, you go, man, those people are fucking crazy. I thought my family was bad. And then you hear about all these other stories like, whoa, that, that family's fucked up. So I told my dad, I said, listen, he has MS. But at the same time, I'll relate this to quantum physics. Quantum physics, you talked about the mind, the consciousness. You're in your consciousness, you can go wherever you want at any point in time. Your mind is a powerful thing. Quantum physics is now trying to correlate the metaphysical with the physical. The effects that the consciousness, this this ether, this these Kaushik records, all these different things, how that affects our physical world. Just how Nikola Tesla said, once science starts focusing on the non-physical aspects of things, they'll, they'll progress. When science starts uh, focusing on that, they'll progress more than they have in a decade since the beginning of time, you know, something like that, because Nikola Tesla was on a whole other level. And so, you know, I, I told him, I said, he has MS, when, and, and, and quantum physics, they don't know what consciousness is, they're trying to now just correlate that. When my dad got diagnosed with MS, they told him, we're 85% sure you have MS, but, Again, it's a pharmaceuticals is a business. That's a whole other episode in itself. 
they t- I asked the doctor, this is when they're giving him the diagnosis. I said, dude, where the hell's the other 15%? He goes, we just reserved that for whatever other possibilities. I go, 15%? What the hell? But, and the doctor says, but here's a prescription, right? Here's a treatment, not a prescription, a treatment. Here you go. Do you know how much that treatment costs my dad per month? Well, not my dad, but the insurance company, $40,000 a month. And he's now a statistic. And guess what? They don't know what causes it. They don't know. Uh, there's no cure for it. They don't know if it's genetic. They don't know anything about it. They don't know it's an autoimmune disease and you have it now. And, it, and I told my dad the other day, I said, listen, man, maybe if we're, you know, we're having issues in the family right now, I said, maybe if you got right with whatever's going on in your life right now and you and your body and your mind got aligned in one, maybe you'll be able to to overcome this and maybe you might have nothing because at the end of the day when you're injecting yourself with that treatment that they're giving you you don't know what that is you're being told what it is right because Mm -hmm. again like simulacra and simulation we give value to these symbols and at the end of the day those symbols are what we make them to be just how plato he thought the thoughts existed in one plane and the and the real world was another plane and our ideal image of something exists on another realm but the world is full of images of that but imperfect images of that (laughs) that's platonic realism right so again the reason i say is because the mind is a powerful thing and again i've told my dad maybe if he got right because obviously you've experienced depression and, and my dad's been through that and he's going through that now because recently he thought he was having a symptom of the ms but it turned out not to be the ms it turned out to be something else. He fell into a depression because he couldn't see out of his right eye. So he fell into this thought process. He drives trucks for a living. I'm not going to take my license away. I'm not going to be able to do anything. A, a, a man who has worked all his life, imagine that being taken away from you. All you know how to do, work, drive a truck, operate heavy equipment. Now you can't do that anymore. So again, they're taking that away from him. Obviously, he's, he's getting better now, but the the possibility of that well, again what we're talking about seeing into the future being stuck in the future or being stuck in the past or being stuck in the now he's now he's thinking about the future oh if i don't get better in the future i'm gonna not have this i'm gonna not have that instead of focusing on the now what can you do now to get better man what can you do now to get better what can you do now to help you maybe in the future for them not to take these things away from you right i don't know if you want to touch on that <laughs> Yeah, so so just what you what you said to me, I, I guess some some things that I would I would talk to your dad about is is maybe explore thought and emotional patterns, right? So you've you've mentioned mindset, right? What's mindset? It's it's how we how we think about a particular thing. What I like to add is emotion set. How do we feel about a particular thing? And it's really like in this language, like, hey, what's the pattern of thinking? What's What's our emotional patterns? And so really to spend time with somebody and explore those things. The other two things that I like to add is body set or your physical pattern, right? So, um, and your spiritual set, right? So what are, what are those beliefs? What's the pattern for that as well? So to, to really dissect an individual to tease out different patterns, this goes into, you know, some of the stuff that you're already mentioning. We dissect things. Um, metaphysics and physics, uh, the tangible, the intangible. 
we're really good. What academia is really good at is dissecting and breaking things down. The issue that I have with with some academics and even some of the publishings uh, and peer-reviewed stuff that's out there is academia is really good at pulling things apart to, to study it. What researchers often forget is that all those things go back together. So where mm-hmm. we separate, uh, you know, what we, it was, I saw it on your, your Instagram post, the, the science from, what was the Nikola Tesla quote, science from? Uh, if, if science focused on the non-physical phenomenon, they would advance. So we separate it and we look at Adam as two when really they are one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two are one. So when we when you look at the body, for example, we look at the body from from an organ perspective. Hey, this is my arm, this is my foot, this is my leg, this is my so from anatomy, what else does your body hold? Your body holds your past. Your body holds your character. Your body holds your stress. Your body holds your, you know, it holds your mind and it also holds your thoughts. It holds your heart and it also holds your emotions. It holds your guts and it also holds your intuition. So now your body set, how do you move, right? So if you ever look at like um, some basic thing for body language, like it, it has somebody with their their arms held high, this power position, like, hey, if you're getting ready to go into an interview, hold your arms up high for one minute. And by doing that, you'll have this confidence when you walk in the room, (laughs) right? So you're actually reinforcing. So through physical movement, you're reinforcing an emotion, a thought. The physical with the non-physical. Yes. How powerful is that? And even with psychologists, hey, if you put a pen in your mouth or a pencil in your mouth, what does that do? It forces you to smile. So just the act, even though it's a forced a forced smile, it still elicits what? Emotions of happiness yeah, yeah. through even a forced smile of having a pen or pencil in your mouth. It perceives that. It can perceive it even though you're if, even if you're not happy, it can perceive that. So now your body's set. So a lot of times when I'm working with clients, we'll reinforce something through their body. Like, hey, how are even for me right now in preparation for this podcast, typically I have my chair. I think you can see me. I don't think yeah. anyone else can see me though. Um, my chair is typically on tilt. So I lean back. However, when I lean back, that actually brings out a different emotion. So for this podcast, I wanted to be fully present. So what I reinforce in my daily practice is I lock my chair upright. So I am sitting upright, both my feet, none of my body is crossed. My feet aren't crossed, my hands aren't crossed, my hands aren't even, my fingers aren't even crossed. I want to be completely open to the dialogue that we're having. So I reinforce that through having an open body posture. Both my feet are planted flat on the ground. So I'm grounded, reinforcing, not only being grounded, also it's my cue to be present. So I have these physical cues 
to reinforce both my mental and emotional state and how I want to show up. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's, and, I, and I always go back to where you're saying body language, how even body language for a piece of shit like Hitler, it worked, right? If you see a speech from Hitler, you see this charismatic man who was able to to manipulate thousands of people to do the horrible things that he did. But at the end of the day, it was like how you're saying he was showing authority and, and just use just body language alone. If you don't, if you turn off the audio, you go, man, this guy knows what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> right. And that's how I guess I believe in energies. I believe that when you're in a room and, and you give off a good vibe or give off a bad vibe, I believe that also affects people and the world around. But but I never did think of it like that, what you're saying. The actual body language actually interprets two separate, like you said, the non-physical. And it, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So back to, I wanted to ask you if you had any funny bud stories that you could talk about. And then you said buds and hazing is different because I also have in here, because again, I had my friend help me with these questions. You said funny <laughs> hazing stories that happened to you or someone you know. Buds, as we talked about, is the training segment for that. And then hazing. Can you, what is hazing? Is that like when they pick on people or what is that? Basically. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm trying to think of, uh, so a right of maybe one is, one is intentional and it, one is a selection, right? So rites of passage, a selection it's intentional it's it's with purpose and uh, a positive purpose right there's a training element to it or not training there's a selection element to it hazing is typically something negative um, not with a lot of thoughts um, not to build the individual up not to select it's just more of a punishment and yeah, was there was there hazing when I was in? Sure, um, it's probably a, a touchy topic, you know. And and there's different levels, you know. Guys were messing around, you know. And there's there's some playfulness. Sometimes I nerd out and I I assign categories to things, right? I think there's different levels to stuff. Like uh, a fun example that would maybe be considered hazing today was. You know, I had told one of the older guys that I had tried Copenhagen, right? So uh, chewing tobacco before I came in the Navy and I was sick for two hours. I didn't know what to do with it. So I swallowed some of it, which made it even worse, you know, and like my face turned green. And so even the smell of Copenhagen makes me sick. So th they were just like, oh, got it. And as soon as I told the story, I was like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have told that story. So sure enough. A few months later, they're, you know, we're all taped up and they're like, hey, Luna, we got something for you. And I, oh, had, uh, <laughs> I had tape across my face, you know, just enough tape on my face to where I could breathe through it. And they opened up the tape some more and I could hear the thumping of a can. And I was just like, oh, and then they just had the can in front of my nose and just the smell of it. I was just like, oh, and he must have grabbed half the can and shoved half the can in my mouth. And they're like, you oh. better not spit any of it. So I'm trying to pack it and it's on my tongue. And so that would be like an example of hazing 
however, like very play, like there's playfulness to it. You know, on the spectrum, you could go the other direction and it could be, you know, pretty brutal. And there's things that, you know, have been done that, you know, um, I would never condone. So there's a there's definitely a spectrum there. Uh, what was the other question? Oh, a funny bud story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's got it seems like another lifetime ago talking about funny bud stories. Um, what was What's a funny one? I think a funny one. God, it's been so long. <laughs> Here's one. So we're so we would do these early morning workouts. This one's actually pretty gross, but I'm gonna tell it anyways. <laughs> early morning workouts, like you know, it's long days, super long. You know, late nights, very long days, early mornings, not a lot of sleep, just like a serious grind. So it's maybe, I don't know, 5.30 in the morning, we're out on the beach, already doing PT, the sun's not even up yet, and we're just, I'm exhausted, everyone's exhausted, and you're just like going through, like doing the sit-ups, doing the push-ups, like just going through the workout, and I had to go to the bathroom so bad, uh, number two, if you will, and there was no way that I was going to... Like, you don't just stand up and be like, hey, instructors, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, they're like, go in the surf, you know. And I was like, man, I don't want to get in the water right now. It's freezing cold. So I'm trying to figure out. And it was just dark enough to where it was hard to see, still hard to see. And so as we're doing, we're doing this like killer sit up routine and I have to go number two. So we're doing it. I'm moving up. I'm looking around. I start digging a little hole underneath me. (laughs) (laughs) I I burrow this little hole. I untuck my shirt and I'm doing this whole thing, like still doing the sit-ups. And I just work my timing and I like work my guts and I like sit up and I do like this pause up, push everything that I need to push out, out. And I just, and as I go back down, I push the sand and I like lift my hips up. I just cover it back up and, and just keep going. <laughs> no, knowing that eventually we were going to end up back in the ocean or end up in the ocean and I'll clean up at that point. But that's just like wow. the, the level of, so imagine that being at that level that you're just so exhausted and you have no shits to give, no pun intended um or a shit to give one That's shit crazy, literally man. to give and you go through that whole thing and you're just like i at this point i do not care but i don't want to give them the water and i'm not going to get do extra pt because this instructor just wants to beat me like i will i will risk this so that is that is very funny that is that was <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've ever told that story to anyone before so there you go uh so how many times have you been deployed and can you talk about that a little bit? What was that like? Uh, so I've done, I think, eight or nine deployments. Um, can we talk about the crazy, craziest experience you've had if, you, if you're able to talk about it while being deployed? Man. How about this? I'll, I'll talk overviews. Um been shot at a lot um so many times that you get tired of being shot at 
you know, like I've, I've literally had the conversation, you know, with other teammates or, you know, even my wife of like, Hey, I'm actually tired of people trying to kill me. Wow. Um, so that's, that's, that's being shot at and people trying to kill you a lot for a long time. So, you know, 15 years deploying every other year, um, to combat zones. So yeah, a a lot of years of people trying to kill you. Um, I've been in a helicopter crash, obviously survived that. I've been close to, to IEDs, you know, even to the point to where the guy actually tried initiating the IED while I was over it, not recognizing what it was at first. And then your teammates or somebody or one of the, no, no, no. So, so I'm sorry. So an IED is an improvised explosive device. Mm -hmm. Um, so to, to give some context, I was in. Afghanistan working with a specialized team. I wasn't necessarily with my team. I was supporting another team, another specialized team. And so we were tracking uh, very dangerous individuals. So we went after one of those guys. And um, I don't want to get into the whole thing. Anyways, me and this other individual, uh, one of my teammates, we were trying to track uh, some stuff. And as we were trying to track it, it brought us to a location and there was just something off about the location that it brought us to. And it was just him and I there. And we were starting to, at this point, I was, I was a pretty seasoned seal. Um, a lot of, just a lot of combat experience already. And so my spidey senses were going off and I started to shut him down and uh, my ego appeared and was like, Hey, you got it. You can do this. And it was just like, man, like my spidey senses were like, no, like it's let's back off. So I ended up backing off. Um, I notified this team's EOD unit. I was like, Hey, it just, there's something weird. I didn't see anything. Typically like, oh, did you see wires? Did you see litter? Did you see? And it was just like, I didn't see any of those standard things. I don't know how to describe it other than something is off about that thing. And so these two EOD um, technicians that were that were not Americans, they were on the team that I was with. They were not Americans. Uh, they ended up walking into that area, pointed it out. And they started doing their thing and uh, that device went off. So it ended up, uh, it went off and ended up, you know, kind of fast forwarding through the story and it ended up killing both those individuals. Wow. And you saw that? that. Yeah, I was, I was right next to him. Um, You know, as the, as the explosion happened, you know, dirt and rocks are hitting me. Like that's how close I was to him. So about two weeks later, um, we had some information come in and one of the guys knew that we were on that, that operation. So he's like, Hey, there's some new Intel that came in. Do you guys want to hear it? We are like, yes, of course. So the story was there was a spotter and then there was a trigger man. So they had, if you can picture, um, kind of like a chain and the chain. Is it like in the movies, Dan? (laughs) You know, I don't watch a lot of those movies. So, so (laughs) it, it might be, um, so there's somebody that that's just watching the area 
And then he basically notifies the trigger man who's who might be in a different location or is most likely in a different location. Yeah, with the cell phone ready to go. <laughs> yep, that's it. And so what happened with this is the spotter saw me and my teammate walk up. So he gave the signal to the trigger oh, man to shit. blow it. The trigger man hits the trigger. He was too far away. So it was a remote control. So they call it an RCIED, a remote control improvised explosive device. So he was out of range. So as we wow. were on top of this thing, and I was just like, man, like trying to like process, like something is off, but I can't tell you what's off. But I've been around enough to know that something is off. He was trying to clack it off. So we left. The EOD guys went in to inspect it. Um, and as they walked in, he had moved position. So he actually got closer to it. The signal man then uh, notified him again. I'm assuming it was a male. Uh, notified the trigger man again. And at that point, when he clacked it off, he was in range and he ended up killing those two individuals. Wow. Um, yeah. So there's, you know, I have all sorts of, you know, crazy stories. I've had grenades and RPGs and all sorts of, you know, stuff thrown and shot at me, uh, you know, car wrecks um, over the years. My body's definitely feeling it these days. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of stuff happen. That, that's really wild. So I guess you, uh, another one of my questions was that any close calls and i guess that would be sort of considered a close call i would say because that's that's a wild man that's that's very wild uh oh yeah like just, I've, I've had a lot of a lot of close calls uh, you know with even mortars i've had mortars um a lot of a lot of close calls um i would say one of my closest call was like a 15 minute uh pulp fiction scene of just AK fire literally silhouetting me and so close that the guys, you know, by me thought I was in shock and that I had been shot multiple times and that I just didn't know it. Um, oh, wow. So, so close and for so long that when I got back, I went through all my gear because I was like, there is no way that I don't have a bullet hole in in like my shirt or, you know, there's not scratches on my helmet or my kit isn't shot or a bullet hole in my, in my pants. Like that's how close the AK fire was for about 15 minutes. Um, and I was kind of stuck in the, in the position that I was in. So I just, at the time I just had to take it. Wow. Can you, can we talk about, what your views are on now on, on war now and you know how they were going into this experience that you've experienced and obviously how that's affected your life because i know you've went into depression uh and i don't know if, if you want to talk about that and, and what you experienced i, I don't want to say something that you know what i mean that you don't want yeah let's see i th i think what i would add to kind of that that series of questions and, and something that I, I speak about more now is um, a lot of lessons learned going through those things. And 
the training in the SEAL teams is great, and the training in a lot of different, a lot of other places is great. I think there's a lot of stuff that we're that we're leaving out. And as I work closer now with law enforcement and some military units and some other units as well, it's the preparation. How do you prepare to go into what I call a volatile situation? Depending on my audience, I may even use how do you prepare for violence? You know, if you don't have a background or if you don't have a relationship with it, how do you get ready for that moment? And so a lot of the work that I'm starting to do now, and I even have a call this weekend with a psychologist I'm working with out at the University of Hawaii. His name's Professor Fru, Professor Free, a lot of people call him, F-R-U-E-H. He's a psychologist. He's been working in and around PTSD and vets for a long time. What we're now working on is what I call pre-traumatic coaching. So how, what are the things that we can do? What's the upfront work that we can do to prepare somebody for a volatile or violent situation? So that's the area that I think we're really doing a disservice to our youth, right? To, to the person that's at, in the police academy. Are we doing everything we can to prepare them to get shot at? to prepare them to deal with a gangbanger that's that's probably has a deeper relationship with violence than that individual. Are we doing everything that we can for the individual that's at the Naval Academy that's going to be an officer in the Navy or Marine Corps? And a lot of these folks that I would ask questions of, is violence bad? Or is there good violence? You know, so I would I would pose a kind of a simple question, just to kick off conversations and dialogue in and around violence and a lot like, yes, or they would take hard lines like, yes, violence is good or yes, violence is bad. For the most part, it was like, hey, violence is bad. And now this goes into the idea of like, well, if violence is bad and you're wearing a uniform supporting an institution or organization, a sanctioned one, and if you're supporting or participating in acts of violence, if violence is bad and you support or participate in it, are you bad? Yeah, it's a, uh, again, thin line, no? Right. So now it goes into this discussion and it goes into this complexity that, that in my opinion, is very, very, very important to be dealt with before actually conducting or supporting these acts. Because now if you fast forward... And you go to after the fact where the individual is now getting out or transitioning or there's different downtime. And now they're starting to process that their experiences. How do they know how to process it? Or are they only telling themselves one side of the story? And now we go back to what I was talking about earlier in the podcast, the polarities within a past. Is it all negative? Is it all positive? And now you insert religion. Am I now... Do I now have more guilt and shame? <clears throat> is that the only answer that religion has? Or is there actual a story of heroism in there, right? So we can explore and go through this. However, we don't do it beforehand. We let the individual go through it. That's like me taking you and saying, hey, have you ever fought before? You're like, no, I've never, I haven't done any boxing training. I haven't done, okay, great. Hey, I'm gonna take you and you're gonna go fight this boxer. And you're going to go straight in the ring. 
They get knocked make, the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Would that make sense <laughs> to you? You'd be like, no. no, Dan, you're a real asshole. Of course. And I didn't even tell you how good the guy was. Yeah. You would not want to do that. So if I put it in a physical term, you'd be like, no, I would want to learn how to, to jab and throw a cross and to bob and to weave and to shuffle and to use some other fancy footwork and move and defend. Like, hey, I want to learn these things. So when I step in the ring, I'm as prepared as I can be. We are not doing that on the on the fully on the mental, on the emotional, on the physical and the spiritual level that we could be doing. Well, Dan, to touch on that, we live in a society where there's this dogma associated with mental health and we don't like to, if you get hurt, you go to a doctor, physical, physical, physical. But when you're, your mind and you have these thoughts of, of ending your life or, or doing all these different things, we don't talk about that. Why? Because if you tell somebody about that, Hey, listen, you're crazy. We're going to lock you up and we're going to put you away. That sort of thing. And it's very, I, I admire you for that because I, I, I would believe it's a very hard thing to do because again, it's so, it's such a thin line. And how do you even begin to prepare somebody with that? It's very dark to think about having a relationship with violence and, and being associated with that. And that's 100%. And that's where I'm blessed. And that's where I'm blessed, where I can take my past and my academics and pour it into everything who I am today. So how can I use that dark relationship that I have, right? Like, hey, I have this relationship with darkness. And how can I help people navigate that darkness? And that's really what I'm trying to become a master of, to be honest with you. So even today, like the young man talked about suicide. And so if I was a psychologist, you know, or maybe a social worker, I would be obligated to report that. Mm -hmm. And now, right, we're getting real taboo on that's not what I do. And people would be like, Dan, that's not, hey, this is what I choose to explore that darkness with them, vice not talking about it. Ignoring it is, we can answer that question. We can answer it that way. What is another way to answer it? Through talking through it, through talking about it and locking somebody up. Is that the only answer that we have? So a lot of my clients, I say a lot, I have a handful of clients where I've spent a lot of time talking about suicide. And they can be open with me because they know I'm not going to report them. And they know that they're not going to get locked up. And they know they can trust me. And so we spend time in that darkness. And what I try and do, once again, tying it to a physical analogy, is if I could clip into something like a safety harness. Hey, I'm going to clip into the light. And I'm going to jump into the darkness with you. And I'm going to go in that space with you. And now what I'm going to try and do is help you navigate your way out of it, out of that darkness, into at least the gray, and hopefully back into the light. And so we'll anchor in the light. And so we'll even have deeper conversations about, you know, I talk to young warriors about death meditation, and we'll talk about life meditation. We'll talk about the great things in life. And that's that anchor point. That's that foundation. That's that thing that you clip into. So when you dive into the darkness, and it starts to pull you down, what's that line that you can track back out of it? 
So it's a real interesting conversation. Um, I'm big on visualization, not only in that space, but also in the healing space. So even with your dad, I would have a talk of visualization. Hey, let's visualize the future. Let's visualize your future of health and let's focus on that. What does a yeah. healthy you look like in six months, in three months, in two months? What does yeah. this rejuvenated you look like? What does it look like physically? What does it look like emotionally? Right? So when you talk about or when you sp spoke about law of attraction, we can now use these, these tools in these different realms. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, I, I love that. I love that. So to we'll start winding it down. Obviously, we went over the hour. I don't, I don't know if you're cool with uh, me. I'll sum up with these final questions that I have. <laughs> um, Dan, what is happening now with you? Obviously, you do leadership. I've seen you do speeches. You work with different organizations. What is happening now? What's next for you? Obviously, nothing too personal you can't talk about, but with your company. Can you talk about your company a little bit? Yeah, so I started uh, – so I retired from from the Navy just over a year ago. Uh, I, I worked for a boutique business consulting firm up in Boston uh, called MFA, and they were amazing to me, uh, very patient. I learned a ton from them about business, not that I know still know much about business. However, I did learn a lot from them. I ended up leaving. I started my own company. Uh, I rolled into a pretty good contract. Um, so I'm now working with a company called, which is actually really interesting just because of the time frame that we're having this conversation. So the company is Corvus Janitorial. And um, I'm friends with the CEO. I work with a lot of his executives and it's a cleaning service. And so it's, it's, it's so interesting to see the company transform from something who are like, oh, you work with janitors, into now to where we're at today, the importance of cleaning and how <laughs> important people that you would like maybe not pay attention to, like there's some of the most important people today. Exciting, like, Dan. And so now I'm working with them and uh, on, on some of their marketing stuff and, and actually try to help create content with them to help others clean because there's so many cleaning questions and the time frame is spring. So it, so it, it correlates. Um, so I do a lot of work with that company and I, I enjoy it. You know, it's not about money for me. Um, I don't get paid bad at all. The guy, the, the CEO is more than generous, um, to me. I really just enjoy the work. I enjoy the company. I enjoy the staff. I enjoy the executives that I work with. So that's kind of my day job on the side. Uh, my wife has a startup that I'm helping her out with. It's called Casein Kitchen, and it's a protein cookie. Um, and so I bake cookies with her, which which <laughs> might sound funny. And it's uh, it's therapeutic for me, to be honest with you. I hang out with my wife. I hang out with my family. I work from home. I was away from home for so long. Uh, being home is very important to me. So I enjoy making cookies with her. So I do that. And I'm also, I'm getting ready to publish like my first big work. Uh, it's a leadership guided journal, which should be out soon. So if you go to my website, follow me on Instagram. Uh, what I wanted to do was leadership coaching is 
not everyone has access to somebody like me. So I really sat down and was like, hey, how can I make this more accessible? How could I tie in my academics, my experience, you know, coaching, things that are important to me into, into a work to really help others navigate how they show up as leaders? Um, I'm really of the mindset that everyone's a leader. It just shows up differently for them. And so I dive into some of that stuff in, in the journal. It's really a unique piece. Um, I'm working with a designer right now. We're doing the final stuff. So hopefully it's, it's out in the next few months. So that's a big project. I've spent over a year working on this project and I've poured so much of my heart and soul into that. So I'm excited for that to come out. And I'm working with this psychologist, like I mentioned, we're actually working on a book. We don't have a title for it yet. We're still working through the table of context. And, and the book is on pre-trauma. What are things that we can do um, to really prep first responders? And we're seeing it right now. Who's First responders, people in the medical field and military, um, really the primary focus is them. And the primary focus is because it's at a, such a high level of consequence. And the idea is to tease that out and then to, if you will, water it down because the formulas that I'm working on will have other applications, you know, for example, for corporate, for other government, for nonprofit. How do you prepare to enter a volatile environment? Um, so some of the talks that you may see me give, I'm working with a lot of, of different organizations out in California right now um, on leading through volatility. So a lot of the talks that I give is specific to to either leader, leading through volatility or pre-trauma and the, thing, the work that we can do prior to going into a traumatic, possible traumatic situation. Um, and that's it. That's really all I have going on. <laughs> oh, actually, I have one more thing. I just decided today I'm going to start vlogging because I want to start creating more online content um, and just have it accessible. And it's one of those where kind of like you, like, hey, I'm not going to get wrapped around how many views, how many likes. It's just something that I'm going to experiment with. And if somebody gets value out of it, I am happy. And especially today, right, with what we're going through. So if I can't leave and I'm not able to do these keynotes, how can I give pieces of information and help in the way that I can help? And right now, helping is not me going out someplace. It's staying inside. However, I can create content that maybe a first responder or somebody in the medical field or somebody that's, you know, struggling with something during these tough times, something that could help them out. So I'm looking and I'm trying to figure out that, you know, all the everything that goes with creating online content. So that's something I'm navigating as well. Yeah, because I think I had mentioned to you to start a podcast, didn't I? And you were like, nah, it's too much work and this and that. <laughs> so I'm going to cheat. I'm going to call it a vlog. And if yeah. I end up interviewing somebody, I'm just going to be like, hey, on today's vlog, I interviewed Juan. Yeah, yeah, right on. And I'm excited. I've actually, I saw you post about that journal. And I was going to ask you when that was coming out, because uh, I'm actually going to be copying one of those and, and, and using it, because... I like all this stuff, you know, talking about leadership and mindset. Mindset is a powerful thing. I believe in that. And again, at the end of the day, we're our own worst enemy. I, I can be hard on myself. I know I am. But, oh, oh I used but <laughs> at the end and. of the day. And at the end of the day, if 
it, it plays a, a, such a strong role. Like when I started this this podcasting, I I didn't want to let people down, right? So let's say right now I have over half a year's worth of material. And when I first started, I was like, man, I'm not going to get people on. People aren't going to want to talk to me. I'm not that interesting, this and that. And it's been the complete opposite. I've had people reach out to me. People, like I've met people like you. I've met so many different people and I've learned so much because my thing is, you know, being consistent and staying on top of things. And I'm notorious. And this is one of the fights that I have with my dad that I start something and I don't finish it. So this is something that I wanted to push and keep going with because I didn't want to not only let myself down, but I also didn't want to let the people down like you, such as yourself, that you took time out of your day today to talk to me. And let's say I never posted this. It's going to be like, fuck, man. I took time out of my day to talk to Juan about my things and he didn't even fucking post it. So I didn't want to, you know, if I started off, I, I, I did two or three months where I was just recording, recording, recording. And now I'm, you know, releasing things week by week. And now I have enough of a backlog that I can, if I wanted to take a break, I could take a break. But I'm just hustling every week. You know, I'm doing sometimes I've done three, four episodes a day some weeks where I'm just pumping them out. And not only that, but pumping out material that I like, but I also want to put out material that people are going to like. So such as not my I do a lot of conspiracy theories, but I, I like doing things like this where I talk to you about life, about real things, because you've experienced things that I'm never going to experience. And I feel that when, if you're telling your story, maybe my listeners can experience that through you telling your story. And I really love that because when you're telling me that story that you did, it's like I could feel that anxiety of you being there or seeing these men, you know, pass away. It's like that's wild. That's so wild. And it's like, yeah, and this does exist, right? This does exist. And what you're talking about, you work for a cleaning company. I, I said setting because you've been to all these places where it's a shit show. It's, it's the setting. And if I believe setting also plays a powerful role in whatever you do, because if you have a clutter, you're not going to be able to focus on the task at hand. So cleaning is very, you know, not only for hygiene, but it's also very good for, for your mental space as well. I believe that. I believe in that as well. But did you want to add anything before we wrap this up, Dan? I really enjoyed our conversation today. Whenever you want to come on, man, you just let me know. and We can talk about whatever you want. And again, I, I love this. I really want to, I want to thank you again for taking the time to talk to me today. Did you want to have any final thoughts or say before we wrap it up? Oh man, I think I'm good. I said a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just, you know, I, I appreciate you being patient with me and flexible with my schedule. Thanks for having me on here. This was a ton of fun. And uh, maybe we'll do this again when, uh, when the journal gets launched. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One more time for the listeners, Dan, where can they find your work? Where they, can they fo uh, follow you on social media? So that way they could look out for the journal. Because I know I'm going to be picking one up once, as soon as it comes out. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, so the, honestly, the best way is just Instagram. So it's dan.p.luna or team three LX, uh, is my startup that I have gone. I'm trying to post it. I'm still figuring out, you know, online presence and all that stuff, but that's just reach out to me on my Instagram and, uh, we'll connect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, there you have it. That was Daniel Luna. Again, I want to thank him for coming on my show and being able to talk to me. Make sure to follow his work on social media. 
Make sure to follow us on social media at the Juan Juan Podcast. And as always, thank you for the support. Try and leave us a five-star review. If, if, if you like the show, if you don't, then whatever, dude. But as always, until next time. Thank you.